Welcome to Tax Wrap, the podcast of Tax and Super Australia. Each fortnight, we present news and insights to tax and SMSF practitioners. If you've got any questions, comments or even suggestions, get in touch at podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Hello listeners, welcome to the Tax Wrap podcast, uh, episode 228. I'm your host, Steve Burnham, uh, and I have with me today on the other end of the line, Neville Berthasil. Hello, Neville. Good afternoon, Steve. Uh, now, listeners may have spoken to Neville before, perhaps if you've made use of Tax and Super's helpline call service, a very handy uh, thing. You can, uh, if you have a curly question from a client, you can call someone like Neville and have it all sorted out. Uh, ne- Neville, um, we were going to speak today about JobKeeper. You've become something of an expert on this uh, measure. Yes, certainly. Um, <laughs> JobKeeper, yeah, the gift that keeps on giving, although it's not giving as much as it used to these days. It's not, no, well, look, um, which I'll get you to explain to us. Now, we're in JobKeeper Fortnight 15, you were telling me, or the second fortnight of what's become known as JobKeeper 2.0. Um, how have you seen the changes so far? Well, Steve, I guess before we talk about what has changed, it's probably better to reinforce what hasn't changed because there's quite a lot of carryover oh. from, let's say, JobKeeper 1.0, right. um, that it's important to bear in mind when you're considering JobKeeper 2.0. So, right. uh, for example, if you find that you're not eligible for the October to December period of JobKeeper 2.0 because yep. you didn't have the required decline in turnover right. in the September quarter, that does not exclude you from being eligible for the turnover or for the assistance right. in the January to March period, provided your turnover in the December quarter does meet the required decline in turnover. Okay, so there's all hope's not lost. <laughs> not that's that, right. That's not that right. you didn't wish for a decline in turnover of such proportions, but still. No, there's, that's right. And, yeah. and, there's, and unfortunately, there's not as many JobKeeper fortnights in the January to March period, so it is a little bit uh, ah. less of assistance than the okay. October to December period, but I didn't nevertheless, yep. something okay. is always better than nothing. Exactly, yeah. Um, the other thing that hasn't changed and which seems to have been causing a bit of confusion is that the business still needs to be, or the entity still needs to be carrying on a business in Australia on the 1st of March 2020. So even though we're, we're now talking about October 2020 and going forward, we could, for example, be talking about February 2021. Right. You yeah. still have to have been carrying on a business on the 1st of March 2020. Okay. Yep. Neville, though, what about businesses that started after the 1st of March 2020? Unfortunately, the rules around that have not changed. So if you started your business after the 1st of March 2020, you miss out. Oh, really? Okay. I suppose there wouldn't be that many uh, entities in that situation, but still, that's the, that's the reality, is it? Um, yes, that's the reality. I guess, um, you know, in the current economic environment, you would imagine that there is not as many businesses starting up as yeah. there would have been in the normal circumstance. But nevertheless, I've still had calls around that question. So there is still really? some businesses that have started. Um, and right. as I said, unfortunately, they miss out on assistance. Yeah, that's a shame. And it's a 30% decline in turnover, is it? Uh, the, yeah, the decline in turnover percentages haven't changed. Right. Uh, so it's still 30% for most entities, uh, 50% for your larger entities above right. uh, 1 billion, I think it is. Right. And for charities and the not-for-profits, it's 15%. Right. Okay. All right. So, and what else has not changed, Neville? 
Um, so, for example, um, the um, 12th of March 2020 requirements around eligible business participants, which has been quite difficult for some entities and has tripped them up a lot um, oh, yeah, regarding, right. regarding uh, lodgements by that time and making supplies by that time. Yeah, that hasn't yep. changed. Okay. Uh, so if you have, haven't achieved that date and the criteria around that date, employees still need to have been employed on the 1st of March 2020 or the 1st of July 2020. Okay. Um, and there are some exceptions around that, but they are very limited. Uh, for example, if you had a 1st of March employee yep. who ticked all the boxes as a, an eligible employee back then, for whatever reason, they left that organisation. Yep. But they didn't get another job anywhere else and therefore they didn't become an eligible employee or a 1st of July eligible employee with anybody else. Right. Then after the 1st of July, they rejoined their original employer. They can continue as an eligible 1st of March employee. So there is a very small window of opportunity for people to become eligible employees after the 1st of July, but only if they were eligible employees with an employer on the 1st of March and didn't join any other Anyone employer. Else? Okay. Mm. Well, what, what's the situation with casuals? I know there was a bit of a kerfuffle about casuals when this whole thing started. Yeah, well, it's, it's I guess the, the move to the 1st of July has helped casuals in some way. So now the test is you still have to be a long-term casual. You still have to be have working um, systematically with yep. the employer for more than 12 months. Right. But that date has moved from the 1st of March to the 1st of July. Okay, yep. Okay, and what any other con con conditions still apply? I mean, I, I, there's a. Yep, there's still. Um, so, as well as that, um, employees that that previously may not have met the residency condition, um, now that the date has moved from the first of March to the first of July, they may tick that box now. So oh, they may yeah. may have to come in, but yep, there is still a residency condition that still applies. So therefore you still have to have met that. Uh, the age condition at, as at the 1st of July still applies. What's the age condition, sorry? You've got to be a certain age. Yes. So 16 and 17-year-olds need to be independent. That's right. Um, yep. I haven't exactly got the wording, but they need to be... You, you can't be simply living at home with mum and dad and working at McDonald's. No, no. And expect to get JobKeeper, which was the problem when this started. Ah. So... The age conditions still apply. The residency conditions, as I mentioned, still apply. Yep. Still a monthly reporting obligation that you need to do by the 14th of the following month. Yep. Okay. JobKeeper is still a reimbursement and it's still paid monthly in arrears. And oh. there's uh, still a wage condition for employees um, that you still have to meet to be eligible. So the employer needs to pay the... the person the employee because and as you said it's a reimbursement of wages so you mentioned the wage condition still applying so so that means what the boss still has to pay what is it 1500 a fortnight no uh oh. so they still have to pay a certain amount but um as under the new rules there is now a 
two-tier payment rate system. That that's what went yeah. down, didn't it? That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. right. The and that's uh, a lot of controversy that the the rate has gone down. Right. And so yeah. now, from October to December, the rate per fortnight is either one thousand two hundred dollars or seven hundred and fifty dollars, depending on how many hours the employee worked in either the pay period before the 1st of March or the pay period before the 1st of July. Right. And then going forward into January to March period, it will be $1,000 or $650. Ah, right. Okay. And so when does that run out? Uh, as far as we know, is it March, isn't it? I can't at the end of March at this March. stage, yes. Okay. Okay. Um, gosh, so employers have got to work all that out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So... For employee by employee, they have to calculate how many hours they worked and they need to have worked a minimum of 80 hours in the four weeks, uh, in the 28 days at the end of the four-week pay periods before the 1st of March or before the 1st of July. Right. So that averages out at 20 hours a week roughly. Um, so you have to go back employee by employee, work out whether they're achieving that 80 hours or more or not. And if they're not, they're on the lower pay rate. If they are, they're on the higher pay rate. So, um, you can imagine that certainly for employers that have got a fairly decent, um, employee list, that's going to take some time, especially if you've got employees on different awards, doing different activities. You've got some that are permanent, some that are casuals. It's yeah, quite yeah. a task. It is a task. Okay, so we'll, we'll at least not everything change for that, for that sake anyway. But, um, of course, there has been changes made. If you, could you bring us up to speed on what that's been? Yeah, certainly. So, as I just mentioned, you've got the, the different pay rates now and therefore the hours that you have to calculate. So, you for your eligible business participants. It is only the month of February that is available to you to determine whether you're going to get the higher pay rate or the lower pay rate. Now that's quite challenging, obviously, (laughs) for eligible business participants because they're they're not on a payroll. Normally, they're too busy worrying about running the business to worry about what hours they're working in the business. And, you know, if you ask a small business operator, they're probably thinking about their business 24-7. Yeah, yeah. So how do you document that? That's uh, an important question. There is some guidance on the ATO website around that, but still it's not very clear Mm. and it's going to be quite a task for entities to justify that their eligible business participants have met that criteria. Right. Do you know, I mean, just just, um, anecdotally, do you know if the ATO or if the government has challenged any uh, participants in JobKeeper? Not as yet. Right. I think it's still a bit too early yet. As we mentioned, we're only in the second fortnight so far. So I haven't seen anything of that. I haven't heard anything about that yet, but I would expect that that would be coming. Right, right. But still, Um, good record keeping as always is uh, essential. That's right. The ATO in relation to employees does say that 
that they think that justifying the hours for your employees should be relatively relatively straightforward as employer employers will generally be able to rely on records that are already maintained in respect of the employee for example about their employment conditions or pay or leave arrangements yeah that that's fine in in many circumstances but if you've got casual employees you know and they're baristas or waiting staff um it's not as clear-cut as that And I still think that many employers will find it quite onerous to determine whether their staff should be on the higher or lower rate. Yeah, yeah, I see. Okay. Um, Now, tell me about, just in reading, you know, reports around the place, I know that there's a bit of uh, of an issue with the decline in turnover tests in the new iteration. What's the story there? So with the, the new decline in turnover tests, uh, for the October to December period for eligibility for that period, you have to have had the prerequisite decline in turnover in your September 2020 quarter. Okay. Um, yep. It is now based on current GST turnover as defined in the GST Act, rather than previously it was projected GST turnover. So That's under right. JobKeeper, uh, yeah, under JobKeeper two point, under JobKeeper one point it was projected GST turnover. <coughs> There's a subtle difference there that uh, capital acquisitions and disposals are caught by current GST turnover, whereas they are specifically excluded from projected GST turnover. Oh, that could make a difference. Um, so, for example. If an entity finds it running short of cash due yep. to the pandemic, so then they <coughs> sell an asset. Yep. In let's say August, they sold a large asset. That sale needs to go into their turnover. Oh, so yeah. suddenly they find that yes, they've got cash jobkeeper extension. So there are some nuances yeah. around that. But that's good to know. I mean, that, that, that's a good warning to give to a business person. Don't sell that asset. I mean, they, they may have to, though. It's a, it's a rock and a hard place situation, isn't it? That's right. So the other thing to bear in mind um, is that, as I said, it's now current GST turnover, not projected GST turnover. Right. And it is now directly linked to what goes on the BAS. And if you don't lodge a BAS, or are not registered for GST, you still have to assume and act as if you were. Right. So therefore, there's no leniency that we could expect around whether you've met the 30% or not. Under okay. the previous rule, obviously, you were using projected, so it's an estimate. Right. So you might have estimated that you came in at 31%, but then when you did the final numbers, you came in at 29%. Yep, yep. And there have been indications from the ATO and from the government that there would be some leniency around that. Yeah. Now that you're talking about actual figures, I don't think you, you can expect the same leniency. No, no, of course, because it's all in writing, as it were, all on the sta- yeah. uh, activity statement. Um, yeah, okay. Um, are there any, is there any leeway, though, in, in, if before you mentioned um, um, <clears throat> that uh, there were alternative turnover tests? Has that ha- happened again? Because what if you start a business only recently? Um, how do you work that out? Yep. The, the alternative tests have, for the most part, simply rolled over into 2.0. There are some subtle changes. Um, 
there is a new test that was just brought out on Friday. Oh. And just it is a test for where the business had to temporarily cease trading. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and it, so if you had to see temporarily cease trading in 2019, then it gives you an alternate comparison period rather than the Dece the September 2019 quarter. Okay. Um, that intuitively sounds a bit wrong because we didn't have a pandemic in 2019. So therefore, why would a business need to stop trading in 2019? Oh, right. Yep. Huh. The ATO in the explanatory statement to the legislative instrument give one sole example of when they consider a business may have had to have stopped trading temporarily. And that is, for example, we're a business that is run from a purpose-built premises, ceases trading for an extended period of time to move to a new premises. Hmm. That's the only example they give. Okay. They do, however... They do, however, give a number of examples of when it's not considered to be temporarily ceased trading. Okay, yeah. And I also needed to mention that it has to be of not less than a week. So you've had to have ceased trading for not less than a week. So okay. they say that entities can expect to cease trading temporarily for short periods such as several days to move premises, which would seem to contradict their first point, but nevertheless, yeah. or such as due to events or circumstances outside their control, like blackouts. Even where particular events and their timing may not be known in advance, such short events can be expected and are therefore not outside the ordinary business setting. So, to be able to use this rule, it, you have to have stopped trading for more than seven days. Yep. And it has to be outside the ordinary business setting. Now, that is a fairly wide and generic term, and I would think there's quite a lot of wriggle room in there for the ATO when they're interpreting that. So yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly how many entities are going to be able to use that alternate test. No, I see. There's a lot, a lot of uh, uh, fodder for uh, future court cases, I'd imagine. <laughs> to, that's to right. And that's right. And the other thing too is now when you're registering or putting in your decline in turnover for 2.0, you also have to indicate whether you used an alternate test or the basic test. So wow. unlike last time where the question was simply, did you meet the decline in turnover, yes or no, right. now you have to say, yes, I used an alternate test. Okay, yeah. So mm. you're flagging to the ATO that there's something there that they can look at. Oh, of course you are. That's right. And does it complicate things because now you have a certain hours work? Because you mentioned there's a two-tier payment system in now and it depends on hours worked. Was that, did I get that right? That's right. So yep. you have to have worked the 80 hours in the pay periods. Right ending before the 1st of March or the 1st of July in the 28 right. days before the 1st of March or the 1st of July. Right. Um, or for eligible business participants, it's 29 days because February was 29 days this year, oh, even though we right. didn't have an Olympics. Yes. No, it still, it still sticks. Yes. Um, okay. 
Um, so th that's the reference period that you're talking about there, is it right? That's right. That's okay. right. Okay. All right. And there are there are alternative reference periods available. Oh. So if if the let's say you're paid fortnightly and therefore the two fortnights before the 1st of March were not typical of your usual fortnight. Yep. Um, and you didn't meet the 80 hours, then you can use a period before that, which was typical. So you go back to the, you go back to the 28 days immediately before that, that were typical. Now that right. may mean, for example, if the staff was on maternity leave and they've already been on maternity leave for nine months, then the typical period might have been nine months earlier. Ah, right. But you go back to the last time the employee was working a typical amount of hours yep. and work out how many hours they typically work in that 28-day period. Okay. And now the, I believe that employers are required to notify employees of all this. Is, it, is that true? That's right. So oh. once you've figured out employee by employee, whether on the higher rate or the lower rate, you yep. then have to tell the ATO through the portal. Right. And then once you've done that, you have seven days to tell your employee. Theory being that then that gives the employee time to challenge that assessment if they... Oh, okay. See that if they consider that it's incorrect. Okay, because it matters to them, not in the money in the pocket. That's right. That's right. right. The other yeah. thing to bear in mind too is that eligible business participants and religious practitioners need to have notified their employer or the entity, rather, oh, yeah. that of of their hours. So you, even though there's no form on the ATO website as to how to do that. I'd recommend that you ask your eligible business participant or your religious practitioner to at least send an email stating that in this period I confirmed that I worked X number of hours or more than uh, 80 yeah. hours yep. so that you at least have something on file yep. to justify why you chose the higher tier. Okay. And of course, if you, yeah, it's a good idea. If you send, your, send have an email, it's got the date on it and everything. So it's all... It's all Hopefully, uh, stands Hopefully, up to scrutiny. Okay, mm. exactly. <laughs> okay, Neville, it's all very complicated. I think um, uh, listeners will appreciate any guidance that they can get. Where else can people uh, get some guidance on all this? Well, mate, in the webinar that we recently ran on the JobKeeper extension, in the notes to that webinar, there are flowcharts that you can work through to determine the 80 hours and they describe the alternative reference periods oh, so yeah. they're available for members on our website uh, which they can access and download and work through if they're having trouble determining yeah. the hours that's on the webinar recording uh, additionally yeah. yes yeah. yes and additionally soon we're going to be putting up uh, an informational video and slides on the alternate decline in turnover tests, including the new test that I mentioned. Oh, good. So they should be out in the next week or so, and Excellent. they'll be available on our website as well. Oh, that's good. Excellent. Oh, oh, and then also remember, of course, yep. remember, of course, you can always, members can always use their helpline calls and they can give me a call and we can 
discuss problems. Yeah, that's right. Excellent, excellent, uh, handy tool to have. Um, all right, Neville, thanks very much for that guidance. And uh, it's a complicated little area and it's, uh, it's ongoing. And uh, any help that people can access, the better. No worries, Steve. Good to talk to you. <laughs> thanks, listeners. Please tune in again next time.